The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent, because you deserve to live your best life, and the Chime Checking Account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime Checking Account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, Bevy of roster and other transactional news for the Ravens today. And I need to have a special episode on that. Here to join me and talk about that is Michael Crawford. Michael, how are you doing? Hey, Ken, I'm doing well. Cannot complain at all. Yeah, I got a little bit of uh, the Friday news dump. Uh, Ravens, you know, some signings, some reported visits, some roster management uh, designations. So uh, got some stuff to talk about on a Friday before training camp. Yeah, sure do. So it's a, it's a lot, and it's it, these are things that uh, you know you don't like to hear ever. The Ravens, I thought, were kind of getting away from some of the off-season injury designations that they were going to have to start camp with, if not the season with, in some cases. But I think we start there. Uh, four players right off the bat uh, were added to the PUP list before camp. Um, now those were. Uh, sorry, I want to call him Alan Ricard all the time, but Patrick Ricard, <laughs> who had off-season shoulder surgery, right? Yep. Or was it hip surgery? Hip. Case. Patrick. Patrick's the hip. I'm, okay. I might be thinking about Alan, too. <laughs> uh, J.K. Dobbins, still reportedly rehabbing that knee. Uh, we saw him run pretty effectively at the end of last year, I thought. Obviously left some yards on the field with some longer runs, but uh, he's also on PUP. I'll go through the names first, then we'll go back and talk about the impact of these guys. Pepe Williams, potential slot starting slot corner for the Ravens, will start on PUP uh, for camp. Uh, Rashad Nichols, a, a backup defensive lineman, but one guy I think who is pretty close to making the team, probably would have still been the top practice squad guy, but you know was was in that group. And then wide receiver Mike Thomas, who I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people know, um, a little further down the depth chart, uh, but is going to start on PUP as well. Let's yeah. start by just talking through those guys and, and pick one who you'd like to talk about first in terms of uh, how do the Ravens work around this or what's the impact on the team like? Well, I, I guess you probably, for me, I, I'd probably start with JK. I mean, because I think 
there's maybe what's happening and then there's the perception of what might be happening with JK uh, because of, um, you know, some of the comments about uh, him wanting uh, maybe a new deal and obviously what's been going on with the running back market recently. I mean, we saw two guys who, um, you know, were on the franchise tag, didn't get, you know, long-term deals and Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and what that market's looking like. And, you know, there was, what show was he on? Was he on with Viviano? There was some show Dobbins was on. And and when you go back and listen to the show, his comments are pretty, you know, clear. But then I think Viviano treated something out and said, ah, you know, he's going to hold out. Or he didn't say he was going to hold out of camp or anything like that. So I think there's a lot of stuff swirling around JK. But like you said, you know, there's, there's certainly, I in my opinion, I do believe that there's something injury related going on, whether it's related to the knee, whether it's soft tissue stuff that I think was reported around OTAs and mini camp, whatever it is, I think that there probably is some injury component to this. Could there also be something contractual? Yeah, it's the business, right? That, that's that's a part of what these guys do. That's why it's pro football. There's definitely a business component to this, but um, I don't think that just my opinion, I, I don't know what purpose it would serve for him to hold out or even do a hold in uh, you know, with people, as some people have talked about, I just, I don't know what, what to, to what end he would want to do that. So I, I don't think that's the issue. I think that there's an injury component to it. And, um, I think you told me these guys can come off of this list at any point, mm-hmm. you know, once camp begins. So I don't know that I'm reading a whole lot into this, even if he comes off the list, I don't expect to see him a whole lot. Uh, you know, I imagine he'd be practicing and stuff. I don't expect him to play in any of the preseason games. Um, but you know, obviously he's a key. He's a key cog to what they they want to be on offense, and we've seen him. You mentioned it last year. We we've seen J.K. going back even to his rookie year, and you know I think people all kind of heard the stat where he's never had more than fifteen or sixteen carries in a game. But we've seen what the guy can do with limited sample size. So I think everybody's kind of excited to see what he can do with maybe a little bit uh, of a bigger load. So you know it's it's an important thing to keep an eye on. So I I, I wouldn't even begin to want to speculate that it's a that it's a uh, you know some some kind of a hold in that's, and I don't think it's that at all. I think it's, I think it's an injury. I think last year um, Dobbins uh, was very gung ho about getting off the PUP list when he was on it and he, he could come off whenever he wanted. The Ravens were the ones who were saying, well, hold on just a minute. Let's, let's make sure. But Dobbins kind of forced their hand and said, I'm not hurt anymore. I want to, you know, I want to practice. I want to go to start the regular season. And of course he wasn't really ready to go to start the regular <laughs> season, had to go in and have that cleanup procedure done. Then it was another delay to get back on the field. Now, you know, there are questions about whether or not he would have known if he hadn't been on the field to find it out that he wasn't really ready to go. But he did have to have that cleanup procedure. And when he came back, he was a hell of a back again. Mm-hmm. You know, he was 5.7 yards per carry for the whole year last year. Was terrific down the stretch um, for the Ravens in terms of uh, what he brought to the offense. And I, I don't, I, I mean, I just see no benefit from Dobbins holding out, holding in, reducing his total playing time in any way with the Ravens this year when he's in a contract year and the major question about him is health, not productivity on a per-snap basis. Yeah, I don't even think the holdout is an option because I think I read a report where he's already reported. (laughs) So I I think he's there. Uh, And again, uh, you already hit on the hold in. Yeah, I just – I don't see any benefit to him doing that. And he just doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. I mean, I guess you you never know when you you know the business aspect comes into some of these things but he just everything about his personality 
doesn't tell me that that's how he would approach this. It is a sad side effect, uh, unintended consequence of the Ravens' craptastic cap situation right now. I mean, they are really tight to the cap for multiple years because basically they have entered a new phase with Lamar Jackson having a second contract and, and eating up a ton of cap that they have now a bunch of players who are in year four and one extensions. And there's about six of them. If you go around the field, uh, queen Dobbins Zeitler has been a guy who's mentioned it. Gino stone is a guy they might do, but I don't think they've even talked about him as a, as a possibility. And then you look at, um, uh, two guys on the defensive line, Broderick Washington and Justin Matipike, who were in year mm-hmm. four and would be natural extension candidates. I think the Ravens' answer to all of them is probably going to be no. But if they did have to start from somewhere, I honestly, I don't think it would be at, at running back and trying to sign yeah. JK. I think it would be on the defensive line where they have, you know, very limited people under contract for next year. I agree with that. Um, regardless of how I feel about, JK and the running back position, it's it's just the nature of where things are right now. You know, I I have my own personal feelings about it and I wish it was different than what it is, but that's 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 you know, it, it, this is what it is. Yeah. I mean it's it, it's just the nature of the size and shape pool. If you understand why, you know, seven foot players get drafted in the first round in the NBA, even though they're talentless, you know, it's it's a <laughs> It's it's a it's about the size and shape pool and how difficult it is and there's a lot of running backs out there a lot of guys who are uh, between five nine and six feet and weigh between 175 and 225 pounds and fit the running back right when there's a hell of a lot less real athletes who are at 300 pounds and can play defensive line effectively. Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, so Dobbins is one. I'm going to talk about one second. I think the Peppy Williams situation is potentially very serious for the Ravens. Um, it's not that his play on the field was that great last year. Cause I don't think it was, he went through a lot of what JAD went through in terms of being benched, even though I think he was slightly ahead of him in terms of the quality of his play, but they put him in there at slot corner. They, they had him benched in that new England game as well. And I think that was a, you know, just kind of a, I'm sorry, it was him and Stevens got benched in the or JAD and Stevens got benched in that New England game. And and I think Williams was the one who ended up coming, coming in. But you know, Williams is looking as if he's the only real choice at slot corner. Our Darius Washington is on the team. You and I have talked before about Kyle Hamilton playing there. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of the things is I don't think the Ravens are gonna allow the tail to wag the dog in terms of where the slight amount of marginal talent is between Geno Stone and Pepe Williams playing their respective position drive where they choose to play Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't think that they will either. Obviously they've had a lot more talk um, this year about him probably playing less nickel and a little bit more traditional safety. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say strong or free because they don't really even talk about it like that anymore, but just more of a traditional safety role. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder with them when they really talk a lot, about a particular move as much as they have with this, that maybe they're doing it too much <laughs> for me to like really believe it. Um, he just was so good in that role. I have, this is, I have to admit, this is my personal bias. This is not anything that the team has said or anything like that, but I just really liked him in that role. I, I think mm-hmm. he's just sort of the modern day, um, whatever term you want to give that player, nickel, Sam, apex, overhang, whatever you want to call that player. I think he star a star. Yeah, like you come up with new things for him. <laughs> he is the perfect body type 
uh, combination of athleticism, intelligence, you know, everything for that role. And <clears throat> it's not to say that he wouldn't be, excuse me, I had something in my throat there. <clears throat> excuse me. It's not to say he wouldn't be effective in a more in, in more traditional safety roles, because I think he's talented enough that he certainly would be. But so that's my own personal bias on that. The thing about Pepe, I went back and watched him a bunch um, a couple months ago. I think got through all of his snaps from last year. He was really close on a lot of plays. <laughs> like it wasn't when he would get beat or a receiver that he was in coverage on or near his area would make a catch. It's not like there was a ton of separation, right? Or he was just like totally clueless and out of position on where he was. He was just close on a lot of stuff, but just wasn't able to actually make the play, get the ball out or anything like that. He did that in some cases. I mean, he did have some PBUs and he did have some some tackles on some situations, you know, maybe shorted the sticks, did it out a little bit. But certainly he had his fair share of mistakes too. But that was encouraging to me is that, you know, when guys were making catches when he was in coverage or in his area and zone, it wasn't like there was a ton of space there. So some of it is going to be physical limitations. I mean, there's there's not so much he can do about, you know, the size that he's at, right? Mm -hmm. He can do everything right and still just not physically be able to get his hand on a ball. That's part of it. But some of it, too, I think, is stuff that he can improve on with more experience. So that's one of the things I wanted to, to talk about directly here. A, a player, in my opinion, who plays longer than his length. So he's got 29-inch arms or something, but he still reaches across the body of the receiver pretty well. Now, he's not Kyle Hamilton, who's got you know just these – Mr. Plastic, you know, <laughs> in terms of his length, but he's uh, he's pretty darn good about going across the body. And I think part of the thing, part of the reason he's able to look somewhat effective doing that is that he's more often in the right place and being very sticky with that receiver. So that that's a great place to start if you're a slot corner is is you have more reps where you're right on top of that receiver when the ball is thrown. And I, I did like that about his game. Um, I, some of the physical limitations are going to probably dog him the rest of his career but the ravens have dealt with some smaller guys playing that slot corner role got a lot of production out of them and it's interesting that they can also get a lot of production out of a 6-4 guy with very long arms who has below average speed uh you know to to also get things and it's it is it's really a, i think a testament in general to the ravens system that they can figure out how to maximize players uh where they are like that but Corey ivy if you want the other end of the spectrum, a very small guy who, who could do things really was never suited to play outside corner, obviously, but he was a, a unbelievable whirling dervish in terms of his ability to get downhill on players, make second man to the ball plays. We saw a lot of that in his Ravens career. Um, he in the 27 to nothing Steelers Ravens win over the Steelers where they had nine sacks to tie the tie the record. Ivy had both an interception, I think it was thrown right into his belt. And he also is the guy who came and got the the strip sack that Adelis Thomas returns for a touchdown at the beginning of the second half that really put the game away for all intents and purposes. It was just a matter of will they get the shutout and and uh, how many sacks are they going to roll up at that point? Yeah, so with Pepe, man, with this injury, you know, if it if it lingers, if it unfortunately, you know, ah, we're we're just getting ready to start training camp right mm -hmm. and and then obviously they'll have the preseason game so there's still a ways to go and you know to see how this plays out but let's say it does worst case scenario mm -hmm. does linger into the season and maybe he's not able to start the season then you know some of the concerns that you talked about you know start to come into play obviously you have kyle hamilton who's played nickel so you know you have that as an option but in those situations where maybe you don't 
like the matchup with him there, it starts to get a little shaky uh, mm-hmm. behind him because you mentioned some of the names, whether it's Brandon Stevens, we don't know what he's really doing this year, if he's going to play more safety, if they're going to maybe continue to move him around different corner spots. We don't know. Uh, Caillou Blue Kelly is a rookie. Um, you got Kayvon Seymour, you know, who's played some in the slot for them, kind of a journeyman type guy. Uh, and then you got some outside guys. So, you know, you start to kind of, of course, there's always Marlon. I know you and I have talked yep. about that a bunch. We know Marlon can go in there and play the nickel at a high level, but I don't think that that's their preference, even though you hear that report every year. And and this is just not me. I know Jeff, this is Jeff Drebeck. He's he tweeted out, you know, several times that there's people in the building who like Marlon more in the slot than they do outside. Whoever that person is, <laughs> people that feel that way, apparently. So they do have some options there, but you start to worry uh, if you lose Pepe. Not that he's like established himself or anything, because you, you mentioned our Darius. Apparently he reportedly has been playing some in the slot in the early part of these early camps too. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't panic so much about it, but I guess it's because it's fresher in my mind having gone back and looked at those games and you know got a little bit of encouragement from it thinking, okay, this was better than I thought it was or better than I remembered. Uh, and so it kind of left me thinking, all right, man, if he's healthy, you know, maybe we, we take another step, you know, and build on, you know, some of that positive from last year, but he's, he's got to be on the field. Yeah. Very shallow pool of talent at corner uh, in general. And to lose your, the guy who you think is going to be your potentially your slot corner is a blow no matter what, but I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think, think the options are fairly limited. It's, it's Hamilton. It's Humphrey. It's another guy outside the organization, which is probably honestly right now might be the best chance is mm. they move their, their focal point from getting an outside corner to getting a slot corner. And I'm not saying it's Kyle Fuller, but another guy who is Kyle Fuller-esque in terms of his age, slot experience, what they think they can, they can get out of there, but probably looks more like a traditional slot corner. Because if you don't need a traditional slot corner, I think you just use Hamilton there. Or if you have some compound usage idea for Hamilton where you want to use him as a inside or a nickel guy against 12, but you don't want to use him uh, against faster slot receivers, you have an option to, to, uh, uh, to have a different body type and a different uh, you know, set of athletic parameters that you're using against him. Yeah, a name that you know people had thrown out is uh, Bryce Callahan, mm-hmm. guy who's played in the slot in a couple different places. Um, I forget where he was most recently. Was it maybe with the Chargers? Yeah, I think it might have been with the Chargers in 2022. But he's a guy that's got slot experience. Um, I want to say he's probably late 20s. I don't think he's in his 30s yet. Um, so he kind of fits that profile, you know, in terms of, uh, the points you made about looking outside the organization, who knows, I've not heard any reports connecting him to them. So I'm not, you know, saying there's been any, any kind of smoke on that, but he's a guy that fits that description, um, that you just gave. Callahan will be 32 in oh, wow. October. Older than <laughs> yeah, he's okay. older. Um, not a not a terrible player. I'm just looking at some of his PFF grades here just to, to familiarize myself with it. So what I, what I wanted to look is see if I could calculate yards per target really quickly. It's not really good. Uh, 419 yards and 51 targets. So that's going to be over eight yards per target. Yeah. Um, uh, looks like about 8.2. Um, that's not a great season. The, the, the quarterback rating against him is not terrible. Uh, he did have three interceptions, which, which you know, are, are another part of the ledger that, that 
doesn't really show up in that yards per target figure, not much anyway. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I sure. He, he yeah, like I he mean, could be in the talent pool from 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 that perspective. Yeah. But, what do you say? I mean, there's a reason these guys are on the street at this point, yeah. you know. So it's like, yeah, when somebody throws out a name and you look at some stuff and you're like, eh, all right, yeah, sure. And the Ravens obviously like something about Kelly as a player. I, I think his speed and physicality really plays better on the outside than the inside, but his his uh, results in college just were not good. Uh, no. You know, over over eight yards a target. It's that's that's bad for a prospect corner or draftable corner. Let's even say. So it's, it's actually a little surprise. He wasn't in my top eighteen corners, and he was on my list that I really had. I had several lists on here. One of them was, you know, can we get him in a late round? One of them was, was he one of my top ten? Honorable mention was another. I like one one factor about him was was another. And Kelly was on a no list where I thought, I don't think that the, that the Ravens can live with a comp- with the combination of below average athleticism combined with really poor college results in terms of his, his um, uh, yards per target. But they like something about him. That's what I, I know about the Ravens. I mean, the Orioles have made some moves recently where they just like something about Ryan O'Hearn, and now he's their cleanup hitter. And they like something about... Uh, you know, other players, other pitchers they picked up, like Cano would be a good example this year. He's had a, had a big year for the Orioles. But it, I trust the Ravens' judgment, obviously, more than I trust my own. On the other hand, I really want to overcome any evaluator arrogance that I might have on my own by substituting what I think I might see on a anecdotal play basis versus what his overall – results are like at the college level and that's where he's he's fallen short yeah and take this for what it's worth because it's coming from his former college coach Mm -hmm. um but david shaw was on a podcast and you know david shaw has a connection to the ravens organization uh it wasn't in his last season at stanford i think it was the season before his last season because i hope david shaw wasn't coaching this last year so 20 2021 he said caillou blue kelly was their best nickel best nickel on the team and would have played him there more if not for injuries at outside corner. So he thinks he's a natural nickel. This is David Shaw. So we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll we'll see where that goes. So I'm just take that you know for what it's worth. Again, guy who coached him, recruited him, expect him to say good things about him. <laughs> but uh, that kind of caught my eye because you know I know he played outside a little bit more this past year, but you know. Apparently, David Shaw thinks he's better inside. And, you know, he said, look, we had to put him out there because we had injuries. But I don't think that's his his natural best best fit. That is at least a little encouraging. Um, I think that was pretty clearly his best college year was his junior year, not his senior year. Yeah. So uh, it's at least good to hear that 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 is a potential fit for him. And it's probably true that the Ravens can uh, can make that work if they can make a Kyle Hamilton work in terms of getting other value out of his physical attributes. Uh, but I, I think the temptation is going to be there and we're, we're just pulling it back here to the Pepe Williams injury. The, the temptation is going to be there to, to move Hamilton back to the slot. If the team is very short on options and it's very easy to see how the, how the team could get very short on options very quickly. Absolutely. You know, you're hoping that, you know, some of these injury things are the lingering type and mm-hmm. guys are able to to get on the field and you know give you some 
more options. I won't say I was going to qualify. I was going to use a word like better. We don't know if it's going to be better or not, but give you some more options, right. hopefully. Uh, but as it looks right now, uh, you're right. The, the path to where things could go south uh, quickly is is pretty clear. So Patrick Ricard, not unexpected coming off the surgery that he'd end up on PUP. Uh, that said, um, you know, he also may be a player in 2023 that has, I think almost certainly will have a reduced role yeah. uh, unless they demonconize the offense. <laughs> but if Monken is talking about going forward wide, he's not talking about Patrick Ricard being the sole uh, tailback in that offense. <laughs> so now, hey, you know, there's some Ravens fans who say he might be one of the four receivers. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So anyway, obviously, you know, it's always a loss when you lose your Pro Bowl full, fullback. Um, but he is a guy who uh, uh, may play a smaller role there, even if healthy this year. Um, and uh, I, I we'll have to see. I certainly hope Ricard is still some someone that they turn to when it's important to play power football. And there's going to be a lot of games, we hope, that they need to close out because they've got a big lead. And we certainly hope that Patrick Ricard is going to be part of helping the Ravens do that this year. Yeah, I, I think you hit it on the hair where you said it'll it most likely be a reduced role. Um, I don't think Mon can use the fullback a ton at Georgia. I don't think he had to. He had Darnell Washington, so he mm -hmm. could use him to do a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, but if you go back to the season where he actually called plays, I know he had the title as offensive coordinator uh, with the Browns in 2019, but he actually wasn't calling plays. You go back to 2018 with the Bucks, um, he actually did use a fullback a little bit, not a lot. But I've gone back and watched, you know, about four or five of those games. And, you know, they'd get into the eye and do some things. That was 2018, you know, different time in the NFL. But um, I think one of the things I like about him the most, Mocking, um, I'm speaking about now, is he'll adjust to the players he has, right? Mm -hmm. I think he gets this label, and there's a whole lot of things that come with that label of being an air raid guy because mm -hmm. he was at Oklahoma State he's talked about having to learn the air raid when he went there. He didn't know <laughs> he hadn't coached in that system before until he went there after Dana Holgerson left. Um, and so he had to learn it. But if you look at his career, I wouldn't really even label him that way. He's coached in a bunch of different offenses. He's coached in run heavy offenses. He's coached in kind of more pro style offenses. Obviously he does have, you know, that air raid experience. Um, I just think he's a guy who looks at the players that he has and tries to find ways to get them on the field and, you know, utilize their skill sets. So I think he'll find a way to use Ricard. It probably won't be at the same level of volume and maybe in some of the same roles that we've seen in Greg Roman's offense, but I think that there'll still be a role for him. The thing that's interesting to me about Ricard, not so much this season, but maybe next season, you know, what happens there? Um, because I think, they can get out of his deal at that point and save a little bit of money in 2024. And look, I don't know what Ben Mason is and I'm not going to take a lot out of OTAs, you know, but you know, there's that 80, 20 rule at some point that you start to wonder when that comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a $4 million savings on Ricard next year. So yeah. every transaction of that level and even lower will be looked at in this new era the Ravens find themselves in. They're going to have to scrap for dollars. And they've already spent a lot of 2024 money. And it's really not just 2024 money. They've spent a lot of money for the next several years 
in the void years that are going to impact 24 alone. They'll have some ability to spread that out over time, but their cap health is a lot worse for it in yeah. terms of having those dollars. Now, the nice news is they are not the Cleveland Browns in terms of having a <laughs> just the worst cap situation you can imagine with a quarterback who's going to get so expensive so quickly um, that they're really in a one-and-done kind of thing. I think Browns, honestly, are should be probably – pushing all their chips to the middle of the pot in this season to try and win it because I don't see them as having a particularly good chance as, as time moves forward. And, and unfortunately in this division, the Bengals seem to be in about the best cap health. Yeah. Yeah. It is unfortunate. And, you know, I know you've had Brian McFarland on your show a bunch of times and mm -hmm. he's talked about these void years and, you know, there've been people, some people in the fan base who are like, yeah, they're finally starting to use these and just allowing them to get different players. He's like, no, they're not doing this because they want to. <laughs> they do it because <laughs> they, they, they have to. Yeah. yeah. And I, Brad Spielberger made the point on the show that the Ravens were one of the last teams to do it. And almost all teams had to really adapt in some way to the to rolling out of the COVID years and having to to deal with the lower cap and then having to adjust for it and pay for it effectively in, in you know down the road. And so a lot of teams have ended up having to do it. And most teams got there quicker than the Ravens did. Yeah. So at least from that perspective, I like it. I still don't like that, you know, Beckham and Aguilar and, and Pierce and Edwards are, are, none of them are likely to play for the Ravens next year. Maybe one will in a, on a re-signing, but I think it's, it's, if I had to guess what's the approximate number on that, I'd set the over-under at a half, certainly. Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'd lay the odds on that. And then there'd be a, you know, there's a number, a number of dollars we pay to those guys next year. Uh, for not being on the Ravens, so it's it's a it's a uh, significant portion of the cap that will be expended there. So, sure. in, in terms of, um, I guess we move on with, with. Obviously, we talked about Ricard a little bit and his pup. We still hope he comes out of it by the regular season. I don't really have any feel for when he might be ready, uh, nor do I with any of these guys with Pepe Williams with Dobbins. I, I don't really have any any idea when they're going to be ready. No, nor do I. I mean. You can go through each guy and, you know, try to cobble together reports and things that, you know, Harbs has said. I mean, look, he is a prime example. He said Pepe told him he'd be ready by training camp. So maybe they don't even know. I mean, obviously they have a better idea than us, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I try not to even speculate on that kind of thing. It's like you said, we don't know. Yeah, I, I don't want to throw shade. I think we're better off just sticking with what's the impact if this player is not able to go and how do they get around it. So the next player is Rashad Nichols on the – on the list, a guy who's uh, been on the practice squad, he may have had an elevation or two. Uh, I'd have to go back and actually look. I, I I don't know for sure if he did that in this last year. Actually, yeah, he was way. in a game last year. I want to say it might have been the, yeah. one of the Bengals games, maybe one of the later Bengals games. Okay, I, I'll be able to look at his snaps for the season as I have. Yep, you're right. He's got he's got 15 total snaps. So the clock is, I believe, started running on him, but. I always like to look at the Ravens roster because there's certain rules and Brian knows it better than I do about players being able to get in there and they still count as year one players. But in his case, Nichols is a still a year one player. So there must be something about the practice squad elevations that made him not accrue a year of service in this first year, despite the fact he actually played in games. Yeah. yeah, I like Nichols. I remember um, going back to preseason last year and, you know, kind of watching him getting into some games. And there were some things that, you know, he did there um, that I liked. There was another, um, and I'm blanking on his name now, there was another defensive tackle. You probably know the guy I'm thinking about 
who uh, from the preseason. Yeah, who was kind of UDFA practice squad type guy, and it was kind of him and um, Isaiah Mack, maybe. There, yeah, him. Isaiah Mack. Yeah, there was like two or three of those guys who were kind of battling and out, and you know, playing pretty well for preseason ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nichols kind of flashed and, and showed me a couple things, even though you know Mack's a guy I think who's played for them too in in like a regular season game, maybe back in twenty twenty one. But yeah, Nichols showed a little bit as as a guy that you know could be a developmental type player. So you know somebody you'd like to keep around on the practice squad and continue developing and, and maybe see you know what he can become. You know, could he rise to the level of a rotational you know guy at some point? You know, you don't know. The Ravens did go out and and get some uh, potential rotational depth. It's probably a uh, margin in the roster if your depth doesn't hold up, guy. But Angelo Angelo Blackson. Blackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is a guy who came from the Bears. Honestly, if if what he's done with the Bears is not particularly impressive, but he's another guy that the Ravens like something about him, and it's possible he could play better in the Bears system. And uh, sorry, in the Ravens system. And you don't have to look too far back to find a guy whose play was elevated enormously from moving from the Bears to the Ravens. That's Roquan Smith. Yep, absolutely. And Sam Mustafer. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, another guy who came mm-hmm. from the Bears, who you listen to Bears fans, and it's you know they're like good riddance, you know. <laughs> but uh, I think when the Ravens lost Tristan Cologne, you know, you needed somebody else who could step in and kind of mm-hmm. be that backup center. So yeah, they, they were able to kind of uh, take a couple guys from the Bears. So we'll see. One of the last shows I still have to do in the expectation series is Sam Mustafer and David Ajabo. I don't know okay. why that's a hard combo to get somebody to take but i finally got someone to take it you today. think people would like a jabo yeah. people probably just don't know mustafer <laughs> there is there is a lot of that a lot of people they really want to talk receivers we don't need to go into you know oh. difficulty in scheduling <laughs> podcasts here but uh, but i will say there's there's more people who who are are comfortable with the offensive skill position players speaking of receivers can i just throw in a, a quick comment go on mike thomas. mike thomas yep yeah he's the last guy a lot of people probably don't know him like you said most recently with the Bengals was drafted by the Rams back in 2016. He's been primary a special teamer. Um, but you know, he's he's I don't know. I don't have his stats up in front of me, but I I, I looked at him recently. I might have 30 catches over five or six seasons, a couple hundred yards, maybe a touchdown, you know, certainly not playing wide receiver with any regularity. But mm-hmm. he does have the Todd Monken connection. Played for Monken when Monken was the head coach at Southern Miss. So there is that connection there. Um, you'd like to think that he has some familiarity with Monken's offense and the kind of things that he wants to do. And not unusual for coaches, uh, even though I think they signed him to the practice squad last year. So even before Monken was here, I think, um, is when he might have came aboard. I could be wrong about that. So it might not be this connection that I'm I'm sort of, you know, trying to piece together here. But it does it, maybe it's just, you know, circumstance uh, and coincidence, but it doesn't hurt that you had a guy like him who knows Todd Monken's system, even though you know, it's probably changed a little bit since the Southern Myth days. I mean, that's 2015, right? We're going a ways back, but at least has some familiarity with how Monken does things. I think he separated his shoulder. So I don't know when they anticipate him being back, but you know, you still get him around the building. Um, you know, obviously could probably still, you know, contribute some stuff in meetings if, if he's healthy enough to, you know, kind of pop in some of those. So, you know, that's something. You know, we'll see. Looks like if, on special teams, he was mostly a punt return and kickoff return guy, which it could mean that he was actually doing some returning for the Bengals, or it could mean he's a hands guy or a jam guy that they that they're uh, they're using for, or even a, a punt block guy that they're uh, 
using close to the line of scrimmage there. I, I really don't know what he did exactly, but, uh, but that's interesting. He, he got cut after week 11 last year by the Bengals. Cut or injured or whatever. He was, he, <laughs> yeah. was, he did not play after week 11 for the Bengals. So, uh, uh, not really sure about that, but in any case, the Ravens wide receiver room fairly crowded, and I think it's a it's probably a little bit of a stretch to figure out how he beats out a player like Talon Wallace, for example, for for a spot on the roster. Uh, Wallace is is there's no more sands in the hourglass for Wallace. He's in year four, so he'll be a UFA after. No, wait a minute, maybe that's not true. Is Wallace in year three? I might be wrong about when that. When did he so, come out? He came out 2020 or 2021. Yeah, that's the question. And uh Tyler Wallace is year three. Year three. Okay. Okay. So, so, okay. so he still he still has two year value to the Ravens. So I would think he'd be ahead of a of a Mike Thomas in terms of making the roster. And in the same way, I think that a James Prochet would probably be behind Tylen Wallace in that same way. I think you know, yeah, Prochet probably does less for you on special teams. Than a Wallace does almost certainly because Wallace is a four-team guy, and uh, uh, you know he's. I, I it, it it's not hard for me to believe that the the sixth wide receiver spot goes to someone like that with a lot of special teams experience, and it, in that case, it's not even a sure thing that he'll play. But because of the injuries to the Ravens receivers currently and some of the age, it's pretty easy to see a path where he might be the fifth wide receiver active in a fair number of games. And both of those guys, again, I I know I'm, I'm kind of countering myself now because I was sort of downplaying, you know, the air raid label with Todd Mocken. But both Prochet and Tylen Wallace did play in air raid systems mm-hmm. in college. And so at least in terms of terminology, there probably can be some carryover with some of those concepts, um, you know, that, that were in those systems. So, you know, maybe that's, you know, helpful to those guys on some level. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, I I just happened to rewatch that first Bengals game against today. I had to redo the recording so I could so I could permanently save it. But the uh, had two big missed bombs by Jackson. One was to Duvernay, and he yep. was behind double coverage up the middle. And uh, one of the things Collinsworth said is about a twenty five percent success throw was the I don't remember the stat Statcaster Next Gen or whatever they were using to calculate it at the time. Probably Next Gen. Um, and then the, the, the very next play, they three threw deep to Tylen Wallace down the right side. Actually, I'm not sure it was the next no. play, but it was on a fourth and four play and overthrew him when he was wide the hell open on yeah. a, a play that really would have changed his season dramatically, I think, if he'd have caught it. Yeah, we have a fun time debating that when some of the other guys I talked to because I'm convinced he slowed down on that route. But oh, really? <laughs> I, yeah, I, if you go back, you got to watch it carefully. I think he slows up just a little bit. It's very subtle because he doesn't, you know, Lamar's kind of buying time. I think at some point he doesn't think the ball's coming. So he kind of slows up a little bit. Then the ball's coming. That's like, oh, I got to go get it. Granted, whenever I make that case, I say, look, I think that happened. But I also think when a guy is that wide open, you got to hit him. So yeah, I'm not saying all that underthrow room to work with is yeah. is what that receiver is giving you with that amount of separation. Yeah, so you got you got to make use of that. So when I say it, people are like, "Oh, you're making an excuse for Lamar." I said, "No, I'm just observing that I think that's part of what happened." But you're Lamar putting the onus on Lamar. Lamar still got to complete that throw. Yeah, yeah, that's that's I and I think honestly that's where it belongs on that play. Um, yeah, it, it, it does occasionally happen, but let's move on with our list because we got a few, few more, uh, designations here to deal with. Um, 
the really unfortunate and unknown one that came up was the non-football injury list for Tyus Bowser. So just to get a little bit into the NFI list, the NFI list is an unpaid category potentially. It is what Voris is probably going to be on for the whole year because his injury happened away from practice. It is also what Ajaba was on to start last year, even though he made it back and was able to play. Um, and I think I don't know the rules on whether the, the the player can be played or he isn't paid, um, but it's 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 not a designation you want if you're a player because the team is eligible not to pay you. The other one, the kicker, um, Kari, Kari Vedvik, right? Kari mm-hmm. Vedvik. Yeah. Yep. yeah He's the other one where the NFI after that weird late yeah. night incident involving some women and some bad decisions. Yeah. Like my dad used to tell me all the time, nothing good happens after 12 a.m. Yeah, there so. you go. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> that situation. The thing about those other two guys you mentioned, though, is they were in college. Their mm-hmm. injuries occurred in college. So, yeah, they they occurred away from an NFL practice. Bowser is not coming from college. Bowser has been right. in the NFL with the Ravens. And the only thing that that article mentions was a quote from John Arbaugh, where he says, Bowser's knee flared up for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so we, like you said, was there an injury that occurred away from the team? Was he doing something? We don't know. You know, we don't have any detail on that, but yeah, that was the one. His name was the one that kind of surprised me. I, I was not This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer really surprised by seeing any of those other guys names uh on the list i honestly i didn't know about rashad nichols but i'm not surprised you know i mean these these things happen sure um but bowser was the one that i didn't see coming yeah and, and obviously bowser an extraordinarily significant part of that defense um he's the sam linebacker and he's the only one the ravens have currently uh now we'll get into a little bit the ravens poking around for another sam linebacker but uh one of the problems last year when bowser was out and you'll notice that Bowser and Roquan Smith arrived at basically the same point in the year. Mm -hmm. And the defense got totally turned around by the arrival of both of them. Although Roquan is certainly the one who gets fairly, I think most of the credit there, but returning Bowser and having actual Sam linebacker along Owe go back to the rush side, the reduced snap load in general on the outside linebacker group was a big deal. And now, we're entering a season potentially again where you don't have a single guy who's an obvious Sam and the only guy who has the obvious Sam traits currently currently on the team is Owe, who is, yeah. who's got the best speed. He's the best athlete. And unfortunately, you know, if you're going to make him a great pass rusher, don't screw around and keep moving him around would be the you know rule number one. And yet it appears that might happen again this year if if they don't find someone outside the organization. That's the thing with Bowser. You know, it's not just his individual talent that you miss when he's not mm-hmm. available, which, which is considerable. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's a playmaker for sure. Uh, but there's that domino effect that you just described where other guys have to now fill in at that spot, which pulls them away from maybe more natural, more comfortable positions. You mentioned Oway and how many snaps he had to play early on last season. 
sometimes you see a guy like Malik Harrison in there, which, you know, when he's there at Sam, he's probably better suited to like early down type yeah. of Sam run, run down type type of Sam situations where he can go get his hands on a tight end and just beat him up. Um, but, you know, coverage, a little bit different rush, a little bit different for him. Um, so, yeah, you just don't really have another player who's really natural at that position. Now, Trenton Simpson is interesting to me. I know he's designated as an off the ball inside linebacker and he played there more in his um, last college season. But if you really look back, you really have to look back at his last two seasons. You could even mm-hmm. go back before that if you wanted to, but they had a change in defensive coordinators. His, his coordinator back in 2021 was Brent Venables. A lot of people probably know that name. He he goes on to become the head coach at Oklahoma in 2022. Venables used him almost more like a nickel Sam type player. He really played more out of the box than he played in the box uh, in 2022. Ironically, his uh, Simpsons position coach, inside linebacker coach, became the defensive coordinator in 2022, and he moved him inside and had him play in the box more. <laughs> so Venables definitely tried to leverage Simpson's athleticism a little bit more in space, I think. Um, I'm blanking on the guy's name who took over at D.C. So, you know, I don't know what the fit there could even possibly be with Simpson. I just know that from his college film, you know, he's a guy who can play in space and and quite frankly, just in my opinion, I think he looked more comfortable in a little bit more space than he did in the box. Now, some of that could be because it was his first season doing it in in a larger role. Not that he didn't do it at all under Venables, but he did it less. Uh, and He did it more in 2022. So maybe some of that uncomfortability I saw was just part of the natural transition of doing it a lot more. Because one thing that comes with being in less space is less time. Things are happening a lot faster inside. And, you know, if you're starting to do that more, there's going to be a little bit of a transition, I think, with your eyes and your keys and your processing space. You have a little bit more time to kind of see things unfold. Yeah, coming from the safety uh, background that he had, he's yeah. probably got more understanding of what's going on behind him between level two and three, which was Queen's big bugaboo coming in for his first couple of years in the league. He really yeah. didn't didn't have that perspective. Um, I, I, that's one thing I think. Okay, first of all, I think Simpson is going to be far better than Queen at that component of it, and some of that could translate to a potential use at outside linebacker if if the team sees fit to do that. But uh, I also think that Simpson probably was not as good as he should have been with his array of athletic talents and what he brought in terms of positional understanding from the back end moving up, in just in terms of coverage. And then obviously, you know, there's other missed tackle components of, of, of his game that were more significant concerns. He rushes the passer pretty effectively, does some good things there. Uh, but, but the tackling had been a, a, you know, an issue in his college career. I know they love him as an athlete and I, I think they'll try and probably get him on the field. Um, and unfortunately, you know, these two injuries, Bowser and Pepe Williams, one of the guys who could be a big winner in terms of 2023 playing time is Simpson. Yeah. 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 That's the downside, obviously, when you lose those guys. But the flip side to that coin is the opportunity that Mm -hmm. it creates for another player or players um, to get on the field and and get some more play time. So, you know, there's there's always a part of me because I'm a a draft nerd that, you know, I always want to see the draft guys, you know, the draft rookies get in and play. But, you know, then just the the more sort of general 
Ravens fan in me is like, well, I, I want the best guys on the field. <laughs> so not that he won't be the best guy, but I'm just saying, you know, you, you think about Bowser, obviously he's, you know, yeah. one of the better guys at that position in the league. So what, one of the, we, we talked about the domino effect and I, I, I want to ex- extrapolate with another element of the dominoes that fall when Tyus Bowser isn't on the field. Tyus Bowser, his impact on the Ravens ability to have a very flexible pass rush scheme in terms of who, who's blitzing and who's not cannot be understated his ability to take over the responsibility of a slot corner whether that's in a shallow zone dragging a seam trying to do what he can to erase a route for a, a, a short amount of time off the line of scrimmage uh getting up there and and uh and try to press that corner i try to press that the, the slot receiver i should say uh off the line of scrimmage but whatever he might otherwise have to do he, he plays very significantly into the pass rush flexibility that McDonald has to bring people from all over to try different games. Um, and that's a lot of what McDonald does. If you look at Wink, Wink, Wink was more about numbers. Uh, McDonald didn't rush six plus a lot. Also, in fact, I have that number. So let's just talk about it. He rushed six plus for the entire season, only 21 times. I knew it was a really small number. He rushed seven plus zero times. Now, We've we've seen times where Winks rushed seven or even eight on on some plays. So uh, you know it's it's, it's a, it was a tremendous departure from the Martindale era to have that. And and what he's doing a lot is he's he's playing other games with simulated pressure to try and fool the offensive line and and mess up their assignments in terms of where it's coming from. Queen and Roquan are a big part of that. But Tyus Bowser is an enormous part of that as being an edge who can drop. And, and just to me, it's a um, gut punch of a news today uh, to lose him for the early part of the season. I love my Sam linebackers, period. But uh, but Bowser is something really special in that regard. Yeah. And hopefully it's just something in camp. Uh, hopefully it doesn't linger into the season. But, yeah, he gives you tremendous flexibility in terms of what you can do with rushers and you know you you hit the point where mcdonald is sort of more about tactically bringing mm-hmm. pressure than just sort of overwhelming you with numbers although you know he'll do some overload stuff where he'll bring three or four guys to a side but it's still you know he's not bringing any more than four or five guys you know he's just kind of tactically doing mm-hmm. it a little bit different loves to rush linebackers right uh and have them be a part of the four-man rush and when you can do that now you don't have to think as much about well the trade-offs you have to make between rush and coverage Mm -hmm. when you have Bowser, because you've got a guy who, like you said, can do all of the zone drop stuff, can do any of that that you want, right? Whether it's buzzing to, you know, buzzing out to the flat, walling off a number three or number two receiver up the seam, playing in the hook, uh, carrying a wheel route outside and up the field. Like he can literally do all of that. So now with your rush, you can just say, okay, well, I don't have to be as limiting with the things that I want to do with those guys. I can really just be as creative as I want, as opposed to when you don't have them there. Not only have you had to take a guy out of the rush because now that guy's playing Sam, you've got to be a little bit more careful with the other guys because you're like, hey, I don't necessarily have the same level of confidence in that aspect of my coverage to hold up. So I got to be a little bit more careful with what I'm doing in the rush because I got a guy out there who might get exposed to like what we saw with Owe, just not as comfortable doing.
doing some of that stuff in coverage. It's, and it's it's a it's a double edged sword with Oway because not only are you asking him to do something he's not really comfort as comfortable doing, despite the fact that he has athletic traits for it, but you're also taking him away from his primary responsibility where he really could be great, yeah. and taking losing developmental points, developmental snaps, whatever you want to call it. Uh, having him learn other things on a football field other than you know trying to learn how I beat a left tackle one-on-one. Uh, that's that's it's the most important thing Oway will do. Sure, he can stunt some. Sure, he can he can drop the coverage occasionally from that side. But basically, he needs to learn how to beat a left tackle one-on-one. It's really just that simple. Yeah. And, you know, I know we're going to transition here in a minute to talk about maybe – some ways they might try to address that mm-hmm. if this thing with Bowser lingers on, but they might even have to get more creative than that, right? Yeah. It might have to be more creative than moving away, maybe bringing in another guy. You might have to play some guys there. We talked about Malik Harrison, but I'm saying like even more creative. You might have to do some stuff with Kyle Hamilton there. You might have to drop a safety down. Now this would be in coverage. These guys are not coming up and playing traditional mm-hmm. Sam linebacker and playing the run. But we talked about it before, that sort of hybrid nickel-Sam role, right, where they can come in in certain pass rush situations. And where they line up and kind of what their designation, like if you're looking at the playbook and you're looking at the play drawn up in the playbook, their designation their designation might say Sam. But when you look at them, you're like, okay, well, that's not a Sam. <laughs> Just where they line up on that particular defensive call, that might be their position. So they might have to get even that kind of level of creative if if things you know kind of really go south. Yeah, and honestly, first of all, that's great thinking, and and they have a lot of players who bring some versatility, like Hamilton and like Simpson are are, are two big ones, obviously. Um, who you can you can put as a second edge on the line of scrimmage. You can do a lot of things with them. They're different. You can put Brent Urban out as the or or other players that they have on on the line. Maybe Broderick Washington make him an an edge rusher as opposed to a five tech in in a nickel alignment. Say, uh, but but all of that flexibility is a, there's just an element of gamesmanship that is that is not optimal. It, it's it's playing from a non-optimal guys. It's it's how do I play this these these uh, pair of sevens into winning a big poker pot when that's all I got? You yeah. know, it's it's not it's not. Uh, oh yeah, all of a sudden I have a pair of kings because hey, this is a uh, uh, you know this is a really optimally thing that I that I that I wanted to. There's always like a Pee Wee Herman. I kind of meant to do that component to this. Yeah, it's like we say with the void years. You're not doing it because you want to. Yeah, <laughs> it's that right. kind of thing. So anyway, uh, let, let's move on. We've got one more designation report, then we'll talk about some of the other things too. Uh, did not report designation tossed on Rashad Bateman. Hmm. Now, uh, this is a different kind of tag, and, and the, the talk was already today, Harbaugh, uh, I am I'm heard reported, said that he'd been in contact with Bateman and expected him to be there at camp, and I assume that'll get lifted as soon as he shows up. Uh, we do still have some questions about Bateman's current injury status coming off the list, Frank. And, and I, I have some major questions as to when he'll be actually able to be effective or whether that may be in, in 2023 at all. Um, but the Ravens obviously made a lot of moves this offseason to, to get additional receiving talent. And I got to believe part of that was a not complete belief that Bateman and perhaps DuVernay as well are going to be back in 100% healthy this year. Yeah, that's probably one of the positions where it's it's a little bit of the opposite of what we've been talking about at some of these other positions where you feel a little bit better 
about mm-hmm. the depth that you have if Bateman and or Duvernay um, are a little bit slower to get going um, and, and getting on the field than than what we expected. Um, it, you know, he did some stuff in OTAs, right? They were kind of starting to ramp him up a little slowly, and then they kind of had to dial him back. And then he gets the screw removed, and they give him the cortisone shot because there's some some pain and some inflammation in there. And then it's kind of like they shut him down. So, you know, it's one of those things where it sounds like they're trying to manage it in the most conservative way, the most prudent way um, that they can think of. But at some point, you know, you're going to have to know, you know, is is yeah. is he going to be able to get on the field, and what's he going to be when he gets on the field, or are we going to have to? is this going to be a management situation throughout the season? You know, you're, you're getting into like NBA territory, right? Like load management kind of situation with him, or, or is it more severe than that? Like you said, worst, worst case scenario, is it, you know, another, another lost season. So, yeah, you know, obviously that, we hope it's not that. Yeah. I mean, that would be awful. That would almost be a re-aggravation or something we'd, we'd have to see or, or a compensatory injury that, that occurs because of this. And, you know, a month ago, I, you know, not knowing exactly what the situation was, and I probably should have projected more about when the list Frank occurred and when he got the the, the surgery for it. You got to think, you know, a year and even slightly more than that is sometimes a time frame that is given for this. Frank's one of the few football injuries that really goes over a year in terms of the, the, the recovery time. So you'd have to kind of figure that he might not be himself in, in 2023. And yet given who the Ravens have at receiver, even though, um, I thought Flowers was going to be good. Now I think Flowers is going to be even better. Um, I think Bateman was was clearly their best receiver a month ago in terms of what I would have projected for him for the season. Now I'm not at the same point at all. I think Flowers is is very clearly the Ravens' number one receiver. And I think you know if you're if you're one of the people who thinks Odell Beckham's yards is going to be a little higher, your chances with this move today got a little bit better on your bet. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Taking Zay in round one, I mean, you know, now in particular, I mean, we kind of already knew that, you know, mm-hmm. Rashad was uncertain. Let's say that status was sort of uncertain, but you were optimistic, right? That he was going to be ready for camp. And then obviously as time has progressed, you know, that that hasn't panned out. So the pick was already one. I think a lot of people were excited about. I know I was excited about even more excited about it now, obviously with some of this news and those things are just all different. You just never know how different guys are going to respond to different injuries. And even this Liz Frank injury. I mean, you could go back to Hollywood. I forget when Hollywood hurt his, it was still in college. I think it was in their bowl game at Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the last game. And then, you know, he um, plays, that first year. I know he he probably missed some camp. I don't know if he started camp on pup or whatever that year or whatever. Um, but he actually plays that year. I know he missed he missed some practices, a fair, probably a fair amount of practices, but I think he actually plays that first year. And yeah, was he 100 percent? No. Um, but you know, he was he was able to kind of you know play through it. But you know, everybody's different and the severity of it um is gonna vary from player to player and you know how they they um respond to it. So it's just it sucks, but it's one of those things where you do have to really just kind of be patient with it and take that wait and see approach and, and really just hope that, um, you know, it turns around and responds more positively than it has up to this point. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Marquise Brown, just for for us to recollect here, he, he played 561 snaps as a rookie. The Ravens really needed him in there. They certainly wanted him in there as a, as a guy who could peel the top off the defense. Um, 
the Ravens obviously want the same out of Bateman too. I mean, he's their only legitimate X receiving threat. I think, you know, they'll, they'll probably stick Beckham there. They may rotate around through that X and let different people, you know, do it. But, uh, they, Bateman is by far the best option. You know, if you want to get somebody on an Island, you want somebody who can, who can beat someone with a good route at the top of the stem. And he's the guy. And he also is a deep threat. And he and he you know provides you just all of the things you want from an ex receiver when he's healthy and and the Ravens don't have anybody who's who's an equivalent athlete slash route runner uh, to, to Bateman in total so they really need him back but uh, you know it's it is what it is and the Ravens at wide receiver maybe again are going to be facing a year where they're very short handed yeah and going back to your poker example and the sort of void years analogy you can get creative there again and you can do some things in like three by one on the the mm-hmm. one receiver side where you put andrews or likely out there and isolate them against a safety or a linebacker if they play man coverage and you know try to you know on on paper again looking at the playbook you know dried up mm-hmm. you know drawn up they would be the x quote unquote the x and on that play it's, it's, but again you're, you're doing it because you feel like you have to not necessarily because you want to. There could be some situations because they've done that with Andrews in the past where there's just matchups where they kind of want to isolate him and you can get some easy completions out there um, because the corner is typically going to play off because he doesn't want to get bodied up by <laughs> by Andrews and a linebacker or a safety might try to play a little tighter, but he's going to be you know a better route runner and a better athlete and create some separation against those guys. So they certainly have done it uh, and it's been matchup driven at times, but if you're doing it more to compensate for not having a guy like Bateman, then that's, that's a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, the Ravens made two other moves today. One of them uh, we'll talk about first Melvin Gordon signed. And uh, I'm told the contract might be worth up to 3.1 million. I would expect it's pretty close to the vet minimum plus uh, some uh, NLTBE bonuses. So incentives built into the contract that would uh, uh, push some of that money out into 2024. Goody, because we don't have enough dead money in 24 <laughs> already. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's certainly not an exciting pickup at this point. Yeah. I think Melvin Gordon now is, is 29 years old, if I recall correctly. I have to look at that. But uh, uh, has had some problems with, with fumbling. Do you think there's any yeah. issue with that being a uh, – uh, some sand in the grindstone between him and Harbaugh. Well, we know how, I mean, all football coaches, but, you know, Harbaugh, you know, because we follow the Ravens, we know how he feels about fumbling <laughs> and where that can land you. Um, uh, we saw it with Tyson Williams. You know, we, we, we know where that can get you uh, real quick with John Harbaugh. You got you to gotta protect the ball. Like he says, you've got everybody's livelihood in your hands when you got that ball. Mm-hmm. So we know how he feels about it. And I want to say, I, I don't know the number, but I think somebody tweeted that, you know, uh, Gordon has the most fumbles of any back in like the last five well, or six years. 26 like career fumbles in an <laughs> eight-year career. Now, do you have six as a rookie, yeah. four, four, three, and five the last four years? I mean, four fumbles – when I grew up watching football in the 1970s was, was not a terrible total for a running back. Yeah. I mean, there were guys like Terry Metcalf who were getting close to 10 fumbles a year and were still, you know, these enormous all pro uh, players who in terms of yardage, but you know, four fumbles a year now is a lot. Yeah. You just and, don't see that yeah. very much anymore. So that is concerning for sure. Um, you know, <laughs> it was funny. Uh, I remember, because he ended up with Kansas City last year, right? Broncos either uh, letting go or trading. I, I don't see him there. He didn't play. That he didn't be. play for them, but he was on the team. 
because I, I remember it because I remember his quote at the Super Bowl. Uh, for whatever reason, somebody stuck a microphone in front of his face and he said, basically, uh, I didn't do bleep all year. They carried me, baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he pretty much admitted that, hey, I just kind of been here on the team. Uh, I don't think he got into any games. I don't know what the practice situation was, but, um, you know, some self-awareness on his part to acknowledge, you know, hey, I was kind of just riding coattails here. But, um, you know, I, I think back to 2021, and I know the running back injury situation is different this year than it was that year when you lose J.K. and Gus and Justice Hill, and then all within uh, September, within a matter of days, you're signing Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, and Latavius Murray like five days or six mm-hmm. days before you got a game. So we're not at that level, but there's just a part of me that wonders if is like, you're not going to catch me in that situation again. <laughs> if I've got any inkling that there's some uncertainty with the health of my running backs, I'm going to go out and get people, even if they're not, you know, sort of uh, in their prime anymore. I'm yeah, that's the players. problem is, isn't Melvin Gordon exactly that? Yeah. Isn't he exactly he is. Latavius yeah. Murray at Freeman, uh, Le'Veon Bell in the decline phase of his career, all of the guys. I mean, just exactly. these geriatric backs, every time we talk about them, just exhaust me. In terms of repeating these names and thinking, why? Yeah. why well, the younger guys, they probably won't come here for that money. But the younger guys who are who are um, on somebody else's practice squad have a chance to come to the Baltimore Ravens and a run-first offense any of the last three years, let's say. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? Why oh, yeah. No, they? I don't think the yeah. player wouldn't. But then the fact that, they, that the Ravens didn't make that move makes yeah. me ask – What's their evaluation of those players? Well, it, it, obviously, that's that's a legitimate concern. I mean, they picked up Collins off the scrap heap. They've had other guys they have, but they they typically they are a um, uh, one way only one way does the does the air flow out the airlock kind of team yeah. and and at several positions and and uh, running back is typically one of them where they tend to lose more guys off their practice squad. Defensive line, obviously, a really big one that Ravens practice squad is just that is. Poaching territory if you're short a defensive lineman. Yeah, but to your point, I mean, and I'm not throwing out these names because these guys made any kind of like stellar, you know, impression mm-hmm. while they were here. But would you take a Tyson Williams or a Tyler Batty as opposed to Melvin Gordon? I probably would. Yeah. <laughs> if you talk about your fourth running back, yeah, sure. absolutely for for 2023, no doubt about it. Yeah, sure. No doubt about it. Yeah, you have a lot more upset uh, upside with either one of those guys. Uh, Tyson Williams, it's still a mystery to me how he couldn't get on the field, but there has to be things that we couldn't see right. that were happening on the practice field that <laughs> right. were what they were or weren't. Yeah. 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 Those guys, that's always, you know, like the thing that you go to when you're looking at everything else and, and everything that you can see that's observable doesn't add up. You're like, okay, there's something else to the story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're fortunate to have an organization where we can really trust their decision-making process because they're they are very good talent evaluators in the end um, i trust him even more if it was an offensive lineman that they were doing the right thing yeah. in terms of rehabilitation project um but with with roman and his scheme you know i thought they had a very good ability to pick up pieces situationally that were that were um what they needed schematically for for uh, to run the offense yeah and you know to your point i with the money that you know this deal. I mean, we haven't seen the numbers, but the, you know, worth up to three point one million, uh, three point one million dollars. Is this a deal where we even know if Gordon is going to make the team? Right. So we yeah. certainly probably hope he doesn't. 
in an ideal world. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I, I don't I don't mean this in a negative way. And I'm sorry, Melvin, if you're listening to this, but the ideal situation with the Baltimore Ravens is that the two primary backs are healthy again, that that Keaton Mitchell is a dynamo in camp in the preseason, and they decide they want him around for 24 because let's face it, Melvin, you're not around for 2024. Yeah. You're not signed for 2024. Keaton Mitchell, the Ravens have exclusive rights on him for the next two seasons at least, and then another uh, you know, restricted free agent year after that. So it, it, that's a much more exciting prospect for the Ravens if if he can play. Um, yeah. And I, that is one of the guys I really hope, and I don't think it will happen, but I really hope that there's nothing about Melvin Gordon that blocks Keaton Mitchell's development, like maybe by getting less practice snaps or less preseason reps. I think the latter is very unlikely. I think the former is more likely. Yeah, I hope I hope not. Um, what is there for Melvin Gordon to gain getting training camp reps over an undrafted rookie? I mean, he doesn't know the offense. Yeah, you would need to learn the offense, but consider the position. Mm-hmm. What the learning that's involved for him is going to be a little bit different than what it is at other positions, you know, other offensive skill positions, quarterback, obviously, but even wide receiver, tight end, stuff like that. I mean, let's let's give those reps to the rookie, right? Who has so much more to learn about playing in the NFL than than Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon knows the deal, right? I think you could probably drop him in any offense. And again, you know, there's the fumble concern, and you know, he's certainly not what he was earlier in his prime. But I think you could drop him in almost any offense, and you know, set aside the terminology barrier for a minute. Hey, we're going to run outside zone. Mm-hmm. We're going to run inside zone. We're going to run power. I think he'd be just fine, right? <laughs> Even without having a ton of like practice time, whatever, as opposed to an undrafted guy who, you know, he knows all those concepts too. He's run those concepts too. He's not, you know, not played football ever, but, you know, doing it at the NFL level, understanding how you practice in the NFL, understanding the way defenses, um, you know, go about the way that they do things in the NFL much more level of complexity in general. There are some college defenses that can be a little complex, but in general, much more level of complexity uh, in the NFL. So getting him all of that experience is way more valuable to me than giving it to Melvin Gordon at this point. Now, the one thing I'll say about Melvin that we haven't really hit on yet is that Melvin Gordon is a hell of a pass catching back. So for his career, he's, he's had pretty much 20 and up catches every year of his career, which is extremely unusual but he's got 412 career targets with 309 catches. So exactly a 75% catch rate and 8.0 yards per reception was, which is an extraordinarily high for a running back. So it may be a case of they like him as a third down pass blocking back who can also make some plays there. And if that is the idea, I do think he brings something different because I don't think that any of the current Ravens, are on the efficient frontier of pass blocking expertise and and elusiveness and usefulness as a receiver. So uh, even Justice Hill, who I think that was the that was the goal for him early on in his career, was certainly when he was drafted, was that he'd be a dangerous playmaker if you got the, got him the ball in space. Uh, I don't think he's really ever become that in the NFL. And uh, uh, you know the other guys uh, aren't 
aren't, uh, you know, they, they have problems either pass blocking or, or, or not. And last year, there were only two targets, if I recall correctly, 0 for 2 for um, Edwards the whole year. The last the year before, he had a pretty good receiving year in 9 of 13 or something. He, he, he caught for pretty good yardage. But uh, last year, just 0 for 2. And, you know, that's uh, not ideal. No, that's a good point about that potentially being a very specific role for him. Again, assuming he makes the team, um, that could be the role that they envisioned for him. And, I mean, you could go back to his early years with the Chargers when he was playing with Phillip Rivers at quarterback. You absolutely have to understand pass protection as a running back if you're going to be on the field with Phillip Rivers because he's out there orchestrating everything at the line of scrimmage. So it might not be what, you know, was actually called you know, in the huddle, he's going to come up, take a look at what's going on, and we're going to change this around, and I'm going to slide the protection this way, and I'm going to have you stick in and pick up this backer, or I'm going to have you chip release, or I'm going to have you free release. You got to be able to do all of that and process all of that with Phillip because it's not just going to be, hey, here's the call. We're going to run it. Phillip's running the show based on what he sees and what he wants to do. So I think you've got to be pretty well-versed in that, you know, aspect of the game as a running back if you're going to play with that guy. Let me toss out one more kind of trivial bit here. But if you look at Odell Beckham since he left the Giants, so 2019 through 21, he didn't play in 22, obviously. But that's all the information we have on the guy for the last five years. Um, He's averaged about 7.3 yards per target, while Melvin Gordon has averaged 8.0 for his career. Chew on that a little bit, guys. (laughs) You know, it's it's a a, uh, oddball situation. We got one more move we need to talk about. And obviously we're letting the show drag a little bit because, you know, hey, what would a Michael Crawford and Ken McCusick show be with if, if it didn't be have right. rabbit hole after Wouldn't be hole. right. We'd be doing you a disservice. <laughs> so, so we're giving you the long form, which is what you always get. Uh, but the, the Ravens do have a, a, what I think is a very significant visit with Kyle Van Noy that is either planned or did occur today. I'm not sure which, but there is a there is at least a plan for a visit with Kyle Van Noy. Um, noted outside linebacker who also has off ball experience with new England. Um, but, but, a but a outside linebacker staple, uh, within mm-hmm. the Belichick system and a guy who, if you want to talk about who's the next best coverage outside linebacker in the NFL is at least in the discussion or was a few years ago, he's now he'll be 30. He is 33 in June, but, this is a move that that very directly addresses the Tyus Bowser situation. Now, when I heard it originally, I said, they're finally getting a backup Sam linebacker, and this guy makes sense. Yeah. And now, unfortunately, it looks like it might be the starting Sam linebacker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, it is, it is unfortunate that that's, you know, the circumstance that it, it ends up uh, being. But, look, when you are in this um, scenario, they are with the news that we hear about Tyus today – and there are limited options out there at this point in the season in terms of, you know, finding another Sam linebacker, a guy like Van Noy, who's done it and who's done it well, even at 33 years old, he has that skill set. So, uh, you know, it, it's like we talk about with all of these things at this time of year, there op- the options are limited and there are reasons that these guys are available. So, yeah, you're going to be able to, to poke holes and point to certain flaws, whether it's age, whether it's durability, whatever it is. Um, but that's why they're available at this time. So you're trying to make the best of, of limited options. And you could do a whole lot worse uh, than, sure than Kyle Van Noy. <laughs> a whole lot worse. I mean, I remember, uh, think back to his early career uh, when he's drafted, I think it's second round pick in the Lions. Played very few snaps those first two years. Gets traded 
to the Pats for like a sixth or seventh round pick. And Belichick knows exactly what to do with him. And he really blossoms, you know, into, you know, a really useful player there and carves out a really nice NFL career that that's not over uh, right now. So, yeah, I would I would be very comfortable with that signing if, you know, if the visit actually takes place and, you know, they can come to an agreement. Um, I think you could do uh, just think back, you know, no shade to this guy because I think he was a competent player, too. He's not Kyle Van Noy, but I mean, we could be talking about Vince Beagle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I think, you know, this would be a little bit of an upgrade over that. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and you know, it doesn't rule out, unfortunately, the possibility of trying to find another Sam as well. And and a, a, a Beagle-like guy is exactly what you're looking for. They're, they're, the total number of people on this planet <laughs> who you know can play Sam linebacker is very limited yeah. because a lot of these guys come out of college. They're pass rushers. They would never want to come off the line of scrimmage, and their and their defensive coordinator wouldn't want them to come off either because they're too valuable there. So you gotta you gotta then get into this trait based game where the evaluators are substituting their judgment for any kind of real results. Uh, in that case, so judgment is all you have to go off of. And there's there's probably two or three guys in the typical draft who you can really confidently project to Sam. In some cases, you're doing it based on. 50 coverage snaps their entire college career, yep. you know, in, in doing it, but you're saying, okay, well, this guy's got, you know, 448 speed and he's playing edge right here. And he's, and he's had 50 coverage snaps and those worked out pretty well in college. Yeah, sure. He's a Sam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it really, it really gets to be about that level that you have to work on. Yeah. And he didn't have as many coverage snaps last year with the chargers that he had had with new England. And, you know, I think some of that can be system, and, you know, the ways that one team wants to use you versus the way that, you know, another mm-hmm. team sees you. But um, still productive as a pass rusher. I mean, I think he had a stretch last year. I don't don't quote me on this, but I just remember because it, it kind of made some of the highlights where he had a sack in like four or five consecutive games towards like the end of last year. Now I know, you know, there are different ways to get sacks. I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched all these sacks. So I don't know, you know, how he got them. Sometimes they can be clean up or, you know, kind of fluky or whatever. Mm-hmm. But. I don't think he's had less than five sacks in his last five or six seasons. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some rush productivity there. Uh, and obviously the coverage aspect is there. We talked about that. So again, just that sort of multi-dimensional skill set that you need uh, to be an effective Sam linebacker. He's had it throughout his career. And if he's healthy and, and wants to play uh, and they can come to a financial agreement, Hey, I'm, I'm with it. Sign me up. I mean, even last year where he would have been playing much less off ball, and I don't have the numbers for you right here on that, uh, one quarter of the pass snaps where he was in, he was in coverage. Hmm. So, I mean, that's a lot. Now, outside linebackers, if you look at a typical rush linebacker, rush linebacker they may drop 15 times in a season. Yeah. If you look at a typical Sam linebacker, we can even look at Bowser. I mean, I don't think Bowser had, I don't think Bowser had that many. He obviously played less games. I'll take a real quick look here just to see how he did in 22. Yeah, he only had 55 coverage snaps last year. And his his career high was tw- in 21 when he had 218. So that is, a, that is a ton. And that really underscored that year just how valuable he was. 145 the year before that. But Kyle Van Noy has over 1,500 pro coverage snaps. So he is no stranger to going out there and, and, and playing in space, even out of the outside linebacker or as an off-ball linebacker. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, I know it's just a reported visit mm-hmm. um, right now. 
hopefully um, it can kind of progress to something more than that. Um, because, you know, with the news today on Tyus, um, there's a need. Yep. You know, so. Absolutely. Well, Michael, just a pleasure doing these shows. We also, I wish this was like better news. This is a doom and gloom show in terms of, you know, this, I, I guess it's, it would have been exciting that they're, that they're having Kyle Van Noy visiting if that wasn't paired up with Bowser news. So uh, uh, otherwise the POP and, and DNR news all bad and uh, just stuff we got to report and talk about, think about what the implications are. And I really appreciate you kind of working through this with me. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Abu Kari. Uh, you can also check out uh, the Deep Cover podcast that I do with uh, Chris Aguilera and Kerry Stevenson, as well as the Fire Zone show podcast that I do with Denar Melton. Talk all defense on that one. Deep Cover, we talk everything, uh, you know, the most important game of all, the game of life. Uh, <laughs> we do a little bit of everything on that show. So you can find me in any of those places. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure joining you. And, you know, yeah, even though this wasn't the most optimistic of news, um, you know, we still got camp. We still got the preseason. A lot of things can can change and, and, and situations can adjust. So uh, still looking forward to it. Still got football coming back. So still excited about that overall. And then, you know, hopefully the news kind of shifts and becomes a little bit more positive as we get closer to the start of the season. There you go. All right. Other folks out there who want to be on film study, just give me a, a DM on Twitter. They're always open. If you have an idea to do a short, there still be some opportunities as the season approaches in particular in that week and a half or so between the end of the last preseason game and the first game is played. There's a lot of opportunities for you to armchair GM. If you want, just DM me on Twitter and we'll, we'll uh, talk it out and see if there's a nice show idea there. That's uh, that's worth pursuing. Michael, thanks again for coming on. Always good to be here, Ken. Uh, always enjoy it. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on film study. 